0: What's up Fathom fam? Welcome to the weekly Sunday sermon podcast. You can follow us to stay up to date on everything going on at Fathom on the church center app, Instagram, or YouTube, our Facebook page, or our Fathom fam Facebook group. We hope to see you there, but for now we're going to jump right into the message.
1: And so I'm looking forward to wrapping up this series. For those of you that are new, we've been in this series in Ephesians chapter two on the body of Christ called the house of God. We've been working through verses 19 through 22 in chapter two, and I just want to start us off reading this. And um, I was kind of going somewhere this morning um, in my you know planning, and and God has really just over the past couple of days just put a different text on my brain that I want to hop to and really teach from there. And so. Um, Lee said, how are you feeling? Like, you ready to go? And I'm like, I don't know, man. It's kind of a mess in my head, but let's see how it comes out, because God, God's just kind of leading me to, to teach into a different text that, um, outside of this one. So, But this is going to be our starting point, because it is within the context of this series. So let's read together. Consequently, you're no longer foreigners and strangers. Because of what God's done in our life, we're not strangers. We're not foreigners, um, but we're fellow citizens with God's people, and also members of his household. Built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets, uh, with Christ Jesus himself as the chief cornerstone, in him the whole building is joined together and rises to become a holy temple in the Lord. And in him, you too. everybody turn to somebody and say, you two, you two, turn to somebody out and say, you two, are being built together, together, we're in this together, to become a dwelling In which God lives by His Spirit. God lives inside of the Son and His sons and daughters. Like just the God who spoke creation into existence. God's building us together to be a dwelling, individually and corporately. It's quite heavy to think about the reality that we are carriers. Of God, of God's Spirit—it's—it's it's overwhelming. In fact, um, I, I'm a child of the '80s. I was born in the '80s, but I was really raised on '90s TV. Um, and I know some of you—you're um, thinking, "Oh man, I thought you were so much younger than that," or "I thought you were so much older than that," or "My kids were raised on Nickelodeon in here." Uh, you are confessing that you were raised on Nickelodeon. Um, And there was this one show a long time ago called uh, Legends of the Hidden Temple. Where's my millennials at? You guys know what I'm talking about? Yeah, there's a few millennials in here. Um, Yeah, you guys remember this? And so for those of you that have no idea what I'm talking about, it's called Legends of the Hidden Temple. And uh, it was on Nickelodeon. And there was like these different teams of two. And they were like the purple piranhas and you know the orange monkeys and whatever they were they had all these little names and then this kind of animatronic figure here this animatronic statue uh was his name was Olmec and Olmec was the keeper of all the legends of the secret temple and and if you and they're actually rebooting this show because that's what they do they just anything that was good they they do it again and and ruin it um and so if you care to tune in. But if you listen to like the new trailer for it, and the old one I think says the exact same thing, it, it says, um, you know, as contestants compete to show themselves worthy to enter the temple. And if you were with us last week, we were talking about this idea that Paul, and at the end of, of his prayer for the church of Ephesus in chapter three, is that somehow we could grasp how ungraspable, I don't think it's a word, but how, how much we cannot understand how wide and how big God's love is for us. And then he moves into chapter four, so then like live a life worthy of the calling. So we talked about living a life of humility, of unity, under spiritual authority that we grow up to become the fullness of Christ to our city. Jesus said, said in other places, we're the light of the world, we're the salt of the earth, that we together are this witness of his Love. And when we do that, we fulfill Jesus' prayer to his father in John chapter seventeen. But I I just couldn't get away from this idea of this hidden temple um, because of really really what I was talking about in in our communion time as well, of just we get it backwards so much. And it's because of Jesus that we're able to enter the temple, the holy place of God. And and I want to do a little bit of history and and trace this back here in a bit, but I want to skip over to this passage that I just couldn't get away from, and and I haven't, I don't, you know, it's like some of my most, like, favorite texts um, I, I have to be careful with, because I could preach on them, like, all the time, um, and one that for a long time, just really since I came to faith in Christ, that has, you know, you just have those scriptures that just mean a lot to you, like, you probably ha- have some of those, like, my, my conversion and to follow Jesus, Galatians 2.20 is a massive one for me, like, I'm, It's no longer I who live, but it's Christ who lives uh, through me or in me. Um, This text has been really formative in my life. And it's when Jesus meets the Samaritan woman in John chapter 4. And and I won't read the whole thing. I want to zero into like verses 21 through 23 in just a moment. Um, But my entire life, I've just been kind of a little bit obsessed with the beauty and the richness of this chapter Of Scripture, and really, you could do this with every chapter, but some of them just resonate. I think with um, with individuals in certain ways because it's so beautiful. um, Jesus begins with verse one that says he had to go through Samaria. Um, some of you will know that there was very strong racial tension between Jews and Samaritans. They had very derogatory language that they would hurl at each other, and so the idea that he had to go through Samaria is, is a little bit of an inside joke to know the culture that every Jew would go around the city of Samaria. They would not go through because of just the tension there. It was easier to go around, but Jesus had to go there because there was a woman that he, he needed to meet, and he needed to spend some time with, and I think we learn so much from this text, um, in, in John, uh, chapter 4, it goes on, this, this woman, uh, she's at the well at midday, in the heat of the day, I don't know about, for you, but, um, when I'm in, like, I, I live here in Florida, obviously we all do, um, in the middle of summer, and I see people running at like 3 p.m., I'm not asking you to raise your hand, but I literally, I don't get it. Like, I don't get it. There's nighttime hours. There's morning hours where it's not 150 degrees. I don't get it. Um, This woman, she goes out in the middle of, you know, hot season. Um, Middle of the day, she goes to draw water, and it's because she was ashamed. Um, she had not lived the most righteous, holy life. And when she would go out to this well, she she just thought it was easier just to push herself away from people. Or isn't that what we do when we're ashamed? Like we just, we push people away. But Jesus meets us even in that moment. And he meets this woman at the well and um, he begins to to just kind of, what I say, like read her mail. Um, she's, she's trying to carry on conversation which is so For a Jewish rabbi to be talking with a woman in public like this is like, it's like so countercultural. So Jesus is just breaking all kinds of cultural norms here in order to bring hope into this woman's life, to bring life to this woman. Because she's drawing water and he says, sis, if you knew the water that I had to give you, you would ask me for water, not not, not me asking you for water. If you knew and you understood what I had to offer you, you'd be begging for it. If, if you knew, like, what God has for you, you'd be begging for it. Like, if you knew how much Jesus wants to meet you at your well, what he has pushed through in his life, and what God is working behind the scenes, even when we don't see it as we just sing it, you would understand that he wants to bring life everlasting, that so we'll never thirst again. And he he says, "Hey, she's like, no, I don't have a husband." He's like, "You're right, you don't have a husband because you've had five of them, and the one you're living with now is also not your husband." And Jesus begins to talk to her. Um, I don't know why I'm looking at these notes because none of this is on this notes. Um, John chapter four, verse twenty-one. It says this down at the very end of the notes, guys. You can. Jesus declared to this woman, believe me, woman. <laughs> Sounds a little more harsh than what it actually is. He said, believe me. A time is coming when you will worship the Father neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. You Samaritans worship what you do not know. We worship what we do know. Revelation is from the Jews. Yet a time is coming and has now come, when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. Everybody say spirit and truth. For they're the kind of worshipers the Father seeks. God is spirit and his worshipers must worship in spirit and truth. I haven't been in a lot of churches in my life as far as like them actually being my home church. I was raised in the same church um, up until I graduated college. I, I went nine hours away and I was a part of a worship ministry that traveled and we were in a different church every weekend um, throughout the country and so that, that wasn't really at a home church through college um, which is a formative time you really need a church um, but my church was kind of this, this ministry at that time um, even though I don't encourage that now but that's what it was for me um, and then we, we, we would go into all these churches and then we were on staff at a church for five years and then we moved here to plant this church so I haven't been in a lot of churches in my lifetime but I've been around enough and I've been in enough of them that I have found that there's some churches that are very serious about worshiping God in truth. They're very serious about, about honoring God in obedience to his word. They're very, and they're very serious about their teaching. And I've been in, But not as much obedience to his spirit. In fact, they won't even teach on the Holy Spirit. Um, there, there's not a real sensitivity to his spirit. I've been in a lot of churches like that. Some of you were like, yeah, I was raised in that church. Um, uh, you've been in those churches too. Um, I've been in a lot of churches in which they're very sensitive to God's Spirit, very sensitive to God's Spirit, uh, but but they don't don't value the teaching of God's Word. In fact, many times the marker of a really good service is when the pastor doesn't preach. That's a devaluing of God's Word, not to neglect the teaching of God's Word, which we need, that is bread for our life. So I've seen these kind of of poles of this, this spectrum where we can really love God's Word and love His truth, we love his spirit. We love his, his presence. But I really want to kind of unpack this for us as we talk about worship and really answering the question, of like what does it mean, like what does it look like for our heart individually to become a dwelling in which God lives? Like by his spirit. There's a, there's a spiritual reality of it that happens in Jesus Christ. But what Paul is saying here to the church at Ephesus is that we're, it's a process. There is a, there is, we're becoming a vessel more and more, and it's the reality of our salvation is we've been redeemed, and yet we are still being redeemed. We've been set free, yet he's still working us to be free. We've been sanctified, and yet Hebrews tell, uh, chapter uh, 10, verse 10 and 14, one says you've been sanctified, and the next verse says you're being sanctified. It's this ongoing process of transformation in our life. And if we're going to become a dwelling for God to live by his spirit, we need to be the kind of worshipers that the Father seeks. People who are in love and know that he has something to give us that this world cannot give us, that extra overtime cannot give us, um, that the the right Mr. or Mrs. Right can't give us. That the, the TV show or the movie or our hobbies that we're obsessed with, that it can't give us. That our past, all the things we've tried and all the shame we bring to, it it hasn't given us. And so what does it look like for us to to become a dwelling in which his spirit lives? It's obedience to God's word and obedience to the Holy Spirit. So I want to come, we're going to circle back to those. But I want to give us a little bit of a history lesson that some of you um, will be really into this. But I think it helps us understand this whole idea of temple and tabernacle and in, in the kind of history of scripture that I, I think will bring us into what that means for us. Go all the way back to Genesis 1 and 2, the creation account. And, and Adam and Eve are in the garden and God walks with them and he talks with them. There is a communion. His, God's temple and his dwelling place is the Garden of Eden. It's, it's, they're there with him. And God's given them strict instructions about um, what to do and what not to do. And chapter 3 shows us um, that they disobey, Adam and Eve disobey, and they take um, a bite of the knowledge of of, um, good and evil because they thought it was best, because it looked good. They were tempted by it, and they fell into sin, and we kind of call this the fall. In the biblical narrative, right, there's creation, and then there's the fall. In creation, all things are good. In the fall, everything's go really bad. And in the next moment, and this is just kind of a biblical worldview, is kind of summed up in these four words: like understanding the scripture in these four words. There's creation, there's fall, and then really chapter uh, Genesis chapter four through eleven is kind of the fallout of sin. We begin to see it right, and God, you know, has this. um, He brings hope through, even though like brothers are immediately killing each other. Like things are going really badly, really quickly. But even in that moment, Genesis chapter 3, when God banishes them from the garden, I want you to know like God's sovereign grace is still working. Their consequences is what made a way for redemption to be possible. God's consequences even have a sovereign grace resting right there in the middle of it. If they had not been banished from the garden, they would keep eating from the tree of life, which would mean immortality, which mean they would never never die. They would stay in the curse. For us today, as brothers and sisters, as sons and daughters of God, we're not, we're not cursed. We, we have life, but the fact that we die means we get to go where there is no more fallen sin and no more brokenness. It's a powerful truth in our life. And so the first thing I really want you to hear in this in this first couple of movements of scripture is that God is a jealous God for your heart. He is a holy creator and he is jealous for your heart, all of your heart, to be worshiped and enthroned upon your life completely. He is jealous for you. And so if you think it doesn't matter when you just kind of go through the motions, it matters to God. He is jealous for your life. He is jealous for your worship. That's, that's why he, he, he created in the first place. It's, it's because he is worthy of worship and he wanted communion with mankind. So God dwells, walks, and talks with man. There's unashamed, um, they're unashamed and they enjoy blessings. We go to the fall. As we said, um, we're living in the, in the fall now. This is the stage that we, we, are, we feel the consequences in our life. But we, we're not living eternally in that, we, though we have the consequences of that. God begins to uh, live out the story of redemption. God begins to, really, the redemption of God can be traced really by these four covenants. Um, four covenants, five covenants. Noah, Abraham, yeah, to these so these four, and then the fifth one being Jesus. Um, these Old Testament covenants, God, be, hey, he says to Noah, hey, I'm not gonna flood the earth, right? He preserves hope. In Abraham, um, he, he, he begins to uh, restore a relationship, what we know as the Abrahamic covenant. And he promises to bless Abram and his descendants. This is a, oh, you, like a, just a one-sided covenant. God says, I'm gonna do it. I want to bless you. I want to bless the nations. And then we get to the Mosaic covenant, you know, we, which is a two-sided covenant. There, there's two-sided covenant. God proves his faithfulness to Israel. He delivers them from Egypt. And in chapter 25, God instructs Moses to build a tabernacle so that he can dwell with his people. God's desiring to build a, a, a tabernacle so that he can do that. And at the end of, uh, of Exodus, Exodus chapter 40, after they do this and they're going to hey they're going to create idols they're going to do all these different things that are unfaithful and they're kind of wayward in many ways but it's it's pointing us to the end of exodus chapter 40 in which god god's glory fills the holy of holies it fills the tabernacle god's presence fills the tabernacle so he comes so genesis we're in god's presence right the fall, we're out of God's presence. He says, make my presence right here, build a tabernacle, build a place. And what's amazing about the tabernacle, it's like a tent, a movable tent, giant and and beautiful, but it it was movable. The temple that Solomon will build will be very permanent. It'll be a permanent one. So the tabernacle reflects God's heavenly throne. And it's really, it's designed to be a microcosm of creation. It's pointing people towards creation. When how we have relationship, God's presence being there. And so there's all this imagery of, of, of life and plants and water and all these different things that are pointing back to the Garden of Eden where there was a relationship and God's presence is there. Right? And so God fills the, the place. And God chose a people group, um, the Levites, the, 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 the tribe of Levites, who become uh, a priestly um, movement of people, a priestly tribe, who would mediate between the people of Israel and God. They they would kind of be ones who who represent Israel before God, but they also represent Israel because they are Israel, and they represent God in the the giving and receiving of sacrifices and worship. And even the garments of the priests reflect the temple. They, They point to the tabernacle. They point to the Garden of Eden. So everything they're wearing, in many ways, they're... They're a living, moving sanctuary. Like literally, visibly, people are being drawn back to the Garden of Eden when mankind had perfect communion. And here is this, this middle, here's these people who are in the middle. They're, they're Israelites too, the Levites. They're, they're part of the people of Israel. And they're kind of in the middle, and it's foreshadowing, kind of between heaven and earth, that Jesus will be a mediator for us. And so they, they, they mediate this relationship. And then we get more further on in the redemptive process. We have the Davidic covenant. God's promises to, promises to have an everlasting kingdom that will have no end. And then finally, that redemption is sealed in Jesus Christ with the new covenant. So we've got these old covenants these, um, uh, that, that we talk about in the Old Testament. And then Jesus fulfills it in the new covenant. And Jesus is the high priest. He's the mediator once and for all. When the, the veil was torn, there was this thick veil in the, in the temple, in the tabernacle as well. And when Jesus breathed his last breath, that, that, that curtain tore and gave us access. It was a symbolic representation of what was happening spiritually when we put our faith in Jesus. We have access. And God's spirit begins to dwell in us as believers. And so we as the church, we're God's temple for where his spirit dwells. And just the idea of the visible wearing of that and they are living, moving sanctuaries is something that we realize as we read the New Testament passage of Ephesians 2 that we are the temple of God. We are his holy temple to be a place in which God dwells inside of us. And so we have to know that, that our bodies are a temple of the Holy Spirit. Paul, Paul says it in Corinthians, he says, do you not know that your bodies are temples? of the Holy Spirit, who is in you, whom you have received from God. You are not your own. There's a lot of conversation today, whether it's um, just in our postmodern culture. Um, I think even like with vaccination stuff, it's been brought up with the the case that's happening in in Texas about abortion, all that's being brought up again. And there's a a lot of conversation, my body, my choice, right? As Christians, go back to that previous, go back to that previous uh, verse there, you are not your own. We're, it's not our body. It's his body. He, we have been purchased with a price that, that we're not our own. Our lives are given over to Christ to do what he wants to do. We are temples of the Holy Spirit. You were bought with a price. Therefore, honor God with your bodies. Uh, October is a birthday month for us, and so there's a lot of cake around my house. At one time, there was this beautiful ch- chocolate cake that Raquel made for Camden's birthday, and they brought over this amazing cheesecake um, that was just amazing, one of the best cheesecakes I've had, like f- like ever, um, and so I got to enjoy that. So I was just eating a different piece of cake every single day, um, and then, then to uh, make matters worse um, or better, depending on how you look at it, um, uh, they brought over this carrot cake that's literally the best carrot cake in the world. So I had that last night. And so we've, October is typically, it's like a go-for-it month, you know, with cake. Like, just go for it. And, but then we see, like, Thanksgiving coming, and we're like, oh my gosh, we got to do something. And knowing that our bodies are the temple of the Holy Spirit, uh, we felt kind of convicted over the past couple years and led to, to do just like a cleanse, like before Thanksgiving, so we don't kind of eat sugars or anything like that. So if you see me eating sugar in November before the table, call me out, okay? Call me out. I'll receive it in humility. Um, but a lot of times, we don't, we don't think about this. Most of us, we live very fragmented lives. Like what I do with my body is over here on Saturday night, and then I'm going to worship on Sunday. And what, what, what I, the pills I take, they don't bother anybody the whatever that I'm saying, like We don't think of our bodies as a temple of the Holy Spirit. That we've been purchased with a price and we are to honor God with our bodies. And that it's, this, is, this is sacred space. Like your, your body is a sacred space for God to dwell. And so we must honor God with our bodies. I just wanted to underline that. But so many of us, like we'll struggle to honor God with our bodies because we have idols and things that we're addicted to like, I have no part of me doing that. Like, when I say that sugar thing, it's because I'm addicted to sugar. Most of us are. And and it may not be sugar for you. You may hate sugar. It may be alcohol. And, and it, is, it is a drug for you. And you can't have enough of it. And, and you kind of live for the drink, you know, on Wednesday night. And you live live for that. And it's just what you're putting into your body. And I just want to encourage you to pray and ask, what is What is God asking, how is he asking me to honor him with my body? Honor God with my body. Because it's a temple of the Holy Spirit. And he's calling us to make a dwelling for him. And anything that we're unwilling to surrender to him, anything in our life is an idol. Anything that we're not, that we put secondary to God's truth, obedience to his word, and, and even if it's not explicitly said in here, if God has spoken to our heart and given us conviction, then the scripture teaches us it's sin to us to do it. If he has convicted your heart and you're ignoring that, it's sin to you. It may not be sin for Lee to do it, for somebody else to do it, but if it is for you, then it's sin to you. So that's a, a different teaching. But I, I want us to understand that, that many of us, we kind of live this fragmented life and, like, what happens to my body doesn't matter. Right? This is all just going to waste away. And we're just It's whatever. No, no, no. this is the temple of the Holy Spirit. And I, I want to encourage you over these next couple of months just to, to let God prune away some things he wants to prune. I don't know what it is in your life. I know what it is in my life. I know some things that God's trying to prune away in my life and where, again, I've went to town and now I know God's like trying to call me in. Hey, that's the temple, temple of the Holy Spirit. I want to live for a long time, not just for my family's sake, but for the kingdom and glory of God's sake. I want to honor him with it. And so be sensitive to what God's doing, right? Obeying God's word and obeying his spirit. What is God leading us to do? But most of us, we don't slow down enough to do either of those things. We don't slow down enough to read his word, to really know the truth. We're afraid because we know it's going to call us to change. We, We know that there's some idols in our life and if we read too much, then it's going to tell us. If the pastor doesn't explicitly tell us stop doing this or whatever, then we're we're just going to keep going with our our, our happy little lives. But but we're missing out on God, like life. God breathing through this word in our life. Cutting us up and and pruning us because he loves us so that we may bear more fruit. So I I, want to call us to surrender any idols in our life that we're hanging on to. I want us to be a dwelling in which God can live by his spirit, but we've got to do that through obedience, through his word. And that starts, that starts by reading his word. And so maybe, maybe that's where God will begin to tug on your heart, that I need to get into his word. And, and if I'm going to obey, then I need to know what he's asking of me. I, I need to be in a small group. I need to be in a community. I need someone to help walk me through this part of my, my faith walk because I'm not sure how to take these next steps. We need to lean in and make those steps. It's obedience to, to, um, to the truth, but also there is an obedience to God's spirit and letting God lead us and guide us. And oftentimes when we think, uh, when Jesus talks about worship, right, in, in John chapter four, worshipers will worship in spirit and in truth. We think about worship, the vast majority of us think about music. And Jesus saying is that the temple is the temple's not gonna be in Jerusalem anymore, sister, where we go and worship. It's not gonna be out in this mountain where you get together and you offer sacrifices to an unknown God, like old Olmec, to kind of let you into the secrets of the temple. No, no, Jesus is like, no, no, I'm the Messiah. I've made a way. And so he calls us into a relationship, as he called the Samaritan woman, and to, to one that is full of, of truth and of his spirit, obedience to the word of God and also obedience to the Spirit of God. One of my favorite scriptures when it comes to obedience to the Spirit of God is when, when Paul says, therefore let us keep in step with the Spirit. We see in the book of Acts where they're going one way and God leads them a different it's not a biblical situation, but it's something where God is stirring their heart to do a certain action. They can't explain it. They don't know why, but God is stirring them. And and I want to just make it very clear for any of us who use our feelings as our guide. Obedience to the Holy Spirit is different than listening to our feelings. God can work through our feelings, and we can be sensitive through our feelings and what's going on, you know, like, I'll be having a bad day, and I'll be sick. God, why? Like, why am I in this headspace? Why am I so short with everybody, right? So my feelings can be an opportunity, and then the Holy Spirit will just direct me, oh, that's because um, you've got your worry on the throne that I should be on, right? And he'll, he'll just direct our hearts that way. And the Holy Spirit will never say something contrary to God's word, ever. He's leading us into all truth. It's revealed here and it's revealed in Jesus Christ. But we're being built together to become a dwelling for God's spirit to live. But we often, when we think about worship, we think about music. And, and music is an outflow of a heart that's surrendered. It, it, it's not the vehicle. The vehicle is Jesus. Jesus made a way for us to be in relationship, to be in his presence. And when And when we worship God, it's... It's not to like, oh, so I can be, be closer and, and someone's like we feel things, but the reality is at the beginning of that and the end of that, I'm just as close, right? I'm just as close, I just, I, f- I feel it, I feel it. But there is this element in, in our, our own heart in which there is a, a drawing near and that we can know that the trees fade as I said earlier today, um, but we've got to get to a place in, in which we want it We want God's spirit to be alive and rich in us, guiding us every day, every moment of every day, and that he's enthroned because we realize that we are the temple. We are a holy temple for God to live. But oftentimes, uh, we just make it about these moments. We just make it about moments as opposed to every moment of every day. Because I think that's where a lot of us would find ourselves when it comes to worship. We'd say, Oh, I don't really get into the, the singing and all that stuff. I'm not a good singer, and, and that's neither here nor there. But I live worship, and that's 100% true. We should be living our life uh, lifestyle of worship. And others of us, we don't really think about worship as our lifestyle. We just think of, about it as a song. And the reality is that it's both. Like There's an expression of both where we corporately gather and we worship God, and we worship Him in spirit and truth. And I think when we, we unpack the idea of really what is Jesus saying there with Spirit, it's not just his presence, it's our authentic connection to the reality of his presence. It, it's not just his presence, it's our personal connection. That means when we come in and we break bread, right? I threw my communion stuff away. But when we break bread or, or we sing songs, two people can be singing the same song, and one of them's worshiping and one of them's not. And it's a genuine connection. That's what it means to worship God in spirit, that genuinely, I'm not just doing religious routine, there is a genuine worship that is flowing through my heart of what's already happened. Christ is enthroned, upon my, and the joy, it just overflows. Right? There's life in that. And, and so I want to encourage you, if you're a person that says, hey, no, I, just, I worship during the week. Okay, awesome, cool. We're going to worship from our heart too when he's enthroned, he is worthy of our praise. That's the first reason why we worship is because he's worthy, Beyond what he does for us. And the other side is that, is is truth, is is being dedicated to his word. And you'll see the vast majority of our gatherings, what do we do? We worship musically, but everything that we're doing is is worship. And we worship through the word. The teaching of the word and the receiving of the word. And this band's going to come in just a moment and, and lead us in a song that just says, God, lead me, lead me. And that's really where I want the posture of our hearts to be today. As, as you move into to this week and you open up the word of God tomorrow morning or tomorrow afternoon, and, and as you kind of go about your day and, and you say, God, lead me, I, I want us to make this, this song like our prayer, our prayer this week. God, lead me. God, lead me in the uh, life everlasting. Draw my attention God, to the things that you're trying to prune away in my heart. God is seeking true worshipers. He's seeking a church that will worship him in spirit and in truth. Real, real relationship is what it flows out of. Not just just music, not just, you know, studying the word. It's all of it together. Because we're the temple of the Holy Spirit and we make make our our hearts become a a place in which God can dwell. And his spirit can move. And when his spirit begins uh, to move in our life, what we begin to see is lives begin to get changed. We, we, God begins to have his way in, in, in amazing things that we can't even, we didn't even manipulate, we didn't even make happen, but God is, is working and he is at work. So I wanna call us to stand this morning. And as we stand, I want us to bow our heads and, and pray a prayer together as we prepare to worship. Would you bow your head with me today? I know for some of us, we are that woman at the well. We are that man at the well. And God comes to meet with us when we didn't even see him coming. Some of us, if we're really honest with God and pray one of the most honest prayers of our life, say, God, I don't even care. If we're really honest with ourselves, that's where some of us are at. Most honest prayer you can say is, God, you gotta help me. You gotta soften my heart. It's hard towards you. Some of us, we, we love to worship God with the truth and truth, but we don't know how or we're afraid to worship him Truly. From our spirit. And vice versa. And just to close, I, I Jesus said, if you knew what I had to give you, you would ask me for water. And you'll never thirst again. Father, you see us in this room not as we present ourselves, you see us as we truly are. God, what a great calling you have given us. Through your love, your kindness draws us to repentance. God, in this moment, some of us, we need to come repenting. We need to come running home like the prodigal son that says, I'm sorry, God. I'm sorry for making this about me and what I can get from you as opposed to, to honoring you and worshiping you with my life and spirit and in truth. God, would you stir up a hunger and a desire for to worship you fully in our in truth and in spirit, God, with our whole life, that your spirit may come and make its dwelling in our hearts more and more, ever more, every day. God, that's our prayer.
0: Thanks for listening in today. If you've made a decision to follow Jesus, we wanna celebrate with you. To connect with us about what your next step with Jesus might be, or even if you need help figuring that out, you can text the keyword Fathom to 97000 anytime and follow the prompts. You can also go ahead and type in the search bar of your podcast app, Fathom Beyond Sunday, and there you'll find our new podcast. You'll be able to listen in on some really great conversations, just taking the truth of God's word from our Sunday sermon a step further, talking about how we can apply these truths to our everyday lives between Monday and Saturday, not just on Sunday. We love you, we're praying for you, and we hope you'll tune in again soon.